This episode of Country Career Spotlight is brought to you by Kill Rockstars, celebrating 30 years of music that matters regardless of genre, gender, orientation, or classification. KRS.gay. This episode is also sponsored by Good Morning America, the new album by Lawrence Rothman. Good Morning America is a courageous look at coming out as non-binary, healing from abuse, and overcoming toxicity through radical empathy. Available now on your favorite platform. Cowpokes and get ready to hit the trail with Country Queer Spotlight, the podcast that introduces you to rising LGBTQ stars on the country scene. Join your host, Rachel Coles, as she chats with her guests about their music, their background, their influences, and more. Let's ride. Ride me, Howdy, cowpokes, and welcome to Country Queer Spotlight. I'm your host, Rachel Colst. In this episode, I speak with Patrick Haggerty, the man behind Lavender Country, otherwise known as the first queer country artist to record a queer country album. So I know this episode is a whopper and a big time investment, but when the granddaddy of country music is in front of a microphone, you hit record and let him do what he wants. Patrick and I recorded this interview in late July, and the world has changed a little since then. So with all the amazing fall events Patrick describes in the beginning of the interview, I urge you to double check if they're still happening, because I know the show in Arkansas has been postponed. So thanks for joining us, and enjoy this wide-ranging discussion about queer country artists retaining their authenticity in the country music industry, Patrick's radical politics, and becoming a queer elder. Before we get into the interview, we'll listen to the song Lavender Country off of Lavender Country's first album, Lavender Country. Come out, my dear. 
Well, welcome to Country Queer Spotlight. Patrick, how are you doing? I'm getting old. I'm getting <laughs> older. <laughs> Other than that, um, hey, I'm still on my feet. I've got um, an incredible fall schedule um, that I'm not sure I'll live through, um, but I'm going to try. And... Uh, Hey, I'm still doing shows and I'm still uh, erect. I mean, upright. <laughs> <laughs> well, so um, it's important to use the right adjective. That's right. I mean, maybe both yeah. are applicable, but that's not that this kind of podcast. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway um, that's how that's how it goes with me. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm up, up, up. I'm up in a couple of other things. Uh, do you have? Did you ever know Fagel Ben Miriam or hear of him? No, I don't think so. Oh well, um, Fagel has been gone about twenty years. He's, um, you know, first run uh, Stonewall activist, 
a Jew from New York, lived in Seattle for a long time, was very outspoken, very pissed off his whole life, um, and very uh, energetic in terms of movement activity. And um, you can Google him, and it might be a good idea. Um, he was well known nationally and here in Seattle and was a comrade and a friend of mine. And I'm uh, currently working on uh, some folks who want to do a documentary about him. So I'm um, excited about that at today. And uh, frankly, I'm glad the documentary is not about me for a change. <laughs> um, and um, he's well worth a, a documentary. So I'm uh, doing that. And uh, I have, um, do you know, you know who Andrew Sy is? Yes. Yeah, yes. I'm just doing got signed a, a bloodshot. Cosmic Country tour with Andrew uh, over Halloween uh, through Chicago and Milwaukee and Cleveland and some other places, and um, continuing on to St. Louis, um, Lavender Country is. And um, I'm going to, do you know Trouble Country? No. Ooh. Have you heard of it all? Trouble Country is not queer, but it's trouble. Mm -hmm. And um, we'll take it. They are out of San Antonio. You might want to Google them, Trouble Country. I'm going to San Antonio um, in October before I go on tour with Andrew Saw to do a little gig down there, which I'm excited about. And um, you know Willie Carlisle? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he's invited me to Fayetteville in uh, August to do a little work with Paisley down there at a, some kind of gathering. And um, uh, let's see what else. Um, oh, I might. This is very exciting, Rachel. Mm -hmm. I might, depending on if COVID ever lets us in. <laughs> I might do a tour in uh, Australia. Oh, wow. Um, that would be awesome. This upcoming thing. I know. I'm so excited because <laughs> um, I've never been there and I'd love to go. And I have made some contacts down there. Um, and there's a trans person named Abby Ashmore who's been working with me diligently to get... Um, to get a tour going in Australia. And uh, that would be exciting. We'll see if it manifests. And um, do you know Guy Blackman? Do you know of Guy Blackman? No, I'm afraid I don't. <laughs> well. Oh, I think you cut out for a second there. Okay, here we go. Um, Guy Blackman is uh, a queer who's been very active for a long time in uh, Melbourne. And he has put out a new album. Um, 
I wish I could lay my hands on it, but it's a compilation of a queer music from the 70s to the 80s. Whoa. And, um, I'm on it and Blackberry's on it and various other early artists are on it. And it's been getting some truck. I'm, I'm trying to lay my hands on it right now, but I think JB, my, I think my husband ran off with it. Um, but, <laughs> I'll find it out why. Um, that's cool though. That's a uh, guy put out an earlier album a um, mm, long time ago, 20, 25 years ago. Um, uh, it was another compilation um, of early queer music. Anyway, you might want to Google him. Mm -hmm. Guy Blackman, and he's in Melbourne, and he's been um, active in the gay art scene in Australia for since since the Neolithic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, he's very excited to put out this new vinyl, and uh, I'm helping him pump it. It's got, um, as I said, a lot of the early, early artists on it. Um, so I'm doing, I'm doing this stuff in with Andrew Saw, and I'm doing this stuff with Trouble Country, and I'm going to Fayetteville, and I have a nice show at Zebulon in L.A. Um, on the 9th of September. And I'm excited about that because we had a very good reception the last time I was down there, just before COVID hit. Mm. Um, and uh, that's about it. This guy in Hollywood's going to make a movie about me. That's right. I remember we talked about that last and, time we spoke. Um, he's, uh, he's picked an actor um uh, name um oh i'm his name callum mm -hmm. callum is uh british <laughs> and he is the uh, are you familiar with the british tv series uh it's a sin no but okay well it's it's a sin is a british tv series that's been it's quite popular and it's a serial, mm -hmm. and it's about the early AIDS crisis in London. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on yeah, HBO, yeah. I think. Yeah. Now it's ringing a bell, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, Callum is uh, one of the stars of those episodes. And he's um, signed a contract to play me. Um, so we'll see... Um, We'll see how all that goes. We're still shopping for money. Right. <laughs> well, you know, when you said you weren't sure if you're going to live through your fall schedule, I was getting a little concerned. But now that you're telling me everything you've got in the works, I don't know. I feel like that would be exhausting for like an 18-year-old, much less an 80-year-old. Um, um, you know what it is? It is exhausting. And um you, you know, here, here, Rachel, here's, here's the real truth of it. 
Um, Lavender Country came back on the scene about seven years ago. And um, every year it gets more and more prominent. And uh, I become more and more visible, whatever that means. Um, I have a, a couple of things to say about that. Mm -hmm. One, the music business under capitalism is a wreck. <laughs> and, you know, it's just really a hideous mess. And, you know, a two or three people rise to stardom, whatever that is. And for every one of them, there are a thousand other musicians who are equally or more talented, frequently more talented, uh, who never get a chance and who um, die unrecognized. And um, anyway, the whole system is icky, icky poo. <laughs> Um, I'm sure you know that. Um, and I don't like it. And it creeps me out. And um, stars have arrived when they're no longer proletariats, right? <laughs> well, that's icky. That's <laughs> ugly. That's messed up. And it certainly doesn't have anything to do with who I am. And um, being dragged out of the proletariat scene into visibility um, makes me tired. And it also makes me angry. Uh, but, so that's what I don't like about it. And I, I don't like it a lot. Um, <laughs> And I scream about it a lot to um, pretty much anybody who wants to talk to me about it. And the thing is, everybody in the industry, all the interviewers, all the musicians, all the producers, in their heart, they're really, really sick of the whole star thing themselves. And they know the, the deeper they are into it, the uglier they know it is. And so when I talk about it, uh, folks are drawn to me and they go, oh, he's so real. He's so authentic. He's so blah, blah, blah. And it only makes the syndrome worse. <laughs> um, I, at this point, I'm calling it the most illustrious poobah factor. <laughs> And uh, it, 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 it's just like inherent in the industry. And like I said, it's a mess and I don't like it. And it's, it's very anti-working class um, in its orientation. And it's just the way it works. The flip side of it is that in the current political situation that we're in, um, the country and the world is like in screaming need of Lavender Country and other, you know, radical music. Um, and 
I'd be remiss in my revolutionary responsibilities if I didn't take advantage of the opportunity to broadcast far and wide, as far as far and as wide as I can get. Um, so those two things are pushing against one another. Um, my responsibility to uh, move move things forward uh, as a revolutionary and uh, my lack of desire to participate in the, the notoriety system are always pushing against one another. Um, and I've, I have a lot of trouble with that. Um, it's, it's very conflicting and uh, I, don't, I don't know what to do about it, but <laughs> the more prominent lavender country becomes, the more I complain about it, and the more I complain about it, the more respected I get because everybody's sick of it. And, uh, so, and so it bounces down the road like that. I'm, I'm, I'm very conflicted about it. And uh, the more um, Lavender Country rises to prominence and the whole gay music thing rises to prominence, um, the more conflicted I, the more conflicted I am about it. So um, that's what I think about all that. I mean, I think you are touching on a lot of the questions I wanted to, the major questions I wanted to bring to you um, today. So, yeah, let's keep talking about that. I was recently, um, excuse me, I was recently speaking with another journalist about like queer country music and this journalist was not is not queer um and it was doing a piece on like queer country music and a lot of the questions that they asked me were about like yeah main queer musicians in like mainstream country music and like how would i know when queer country has kind of made it and i felt like the question is I feel like the question needs to come from a different angle, which is like, not when do we, when do queer artists like break through, but we're like, how can we just thrive without having to worry about, you know, the straights? Everyone, and to, you know, to go what you were saying about your discomfort, of course, there's a fine line between, you know, making enough money so that you can make music full time and, you know, what does that mean? And what is success and stardom and comfort? I mean, we sh great artists should be recognized financially so they can continue to do work. But I, yeah. I guess to summarize it all in one question, um, since Lavender Country was reissued about seven years ago, you and I have seen like a huge change in the queer country music scene, ultimately for the better. We have a lot of more artists in mainstream Nashville and in all corners of the planet, um, proudly identifying as country artists who are queer. Um, I was wondering like how you feel, like do you feel vindicated after like all this time? Maybe a little jealous or just happy, <laughs> all of it? <laughs> um, well, uh, 
the the question has a push a push pull to it. Right. <laughs> um, kind of like uh, the earlier question. Of course, I feel vindicated. How could I not? Right. Yeah. Um, and arriving as you know the grandfather, quote unquote, of you know a a genre of music. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't really on my mind for the first 50 years of my adult life. <laughs> um, but it's a position that I've been uh, thrown into. And um, I'm trying to make the best of it to, um, to promulgate revolution. I'm, I'm at the same place in my head politically as when I made Lavender Country. And um, that's what's important. The, the, the push-pull in the queer country thing is the drive to uh, assimilate Mm -hmm. into uh, the larger, you know, country music scene by being accommodating um, is inexorable. It's just like ways on every queer country artist. Um, how to be a a queer artist and not be an accommodationist uh, and, you know, capitulate to Nashville's definition of what a star is, is uh, how do I say it? It's something that weighs heavily on all of us, not just me. And it's on the mind of every queer artist, how to strike a balance between uh, upsetting the apple cart in Nashville's cent century long definition of what's acceptable country, which if you are a queer country artist, you are upsetting that apple cart and you certainly know it. And we want to upset that apple cart. And on the other hand, the whole capitalist music system, star system is weighs on everybody. And it's like, uh, you have to participate in order to make, <laughs> in order to make any money. And uh, and and how do you uh, weigh that against your revolutionary responsibility? It's not something, I can say it maybe more succinctly than other people because of the history of Livedren Country and who I've been my whole life. But it's a question that weighs on all of us. 
And I would be the, the last person because of what I've been through to criticize anybody for um, trying, to, <laughs> trying to make headway in that system. And uh, everybody's thrown into the, into the, into the meat grinder of, of the conflict between being a queer country artist and participating in the capitalist star system. And it's, it's a really hard subject. And I, I support any queer person in country music to do whatever it is they have to do to get on down the road. And um, I would be the last person to criticize anyone for participating. On the other hand, if you want me to talk about corporate Nashville, <laughs> I'd be glad to. And I'd be glad to rip them apart from their political accommodationist stance to their white supremacy uh, bullshit to how it all works. Like uh, That's where the... Uh, where the fault is and where the fault lies and where the criticism needs to go, not on any queer artist who's doing anything to, to get by in, uh, in the milieu. And like I say, we all fight with it, right? And, uh, It's on. It's on the. It's on the mind of of all of us. Um, probably in mo the the most prominent right now, queer country artist in terms of like stardom, is Orville Peck. Mm -hmm. And I've met Orville Peck, and I've opened for Orville Peck, and. I'm dialoguing with his people to, you know, do some more opening for him. And um, I've talked to him on the phone a couple of times. And uh, he's a very good example of what I'm talking about. Because, like, he's, like, uh, top of the line in terms of being a star. And he... He has a lot of respect for me and uh, his political views may be quiet as they're kept or not kept are um, a lot in line with, with what I think. And he, um, he likes me <laughs> and, and I like him and he, uh, He's doing what he does successfully to get by in that system, and he's pulling it off. And I uh, take my hat off to him. Uh, he's a great guy personally, and um, I, we have a lot of political solidarity. And he understands 
the conflicts that I'm describing um, probably better than anyone. And so I take my hat off to Orville Peck for, for getting as far as he, he's gotten. And I appreciate his respect for me. And I would gleefully um, open a show for Orville Peck um, whenever it was feasible. Um, and that goes for any other uh, queer artist out there. Just standing up and saying, I'm a queer in country music is revolutionary in itself. It really is. And uh, to get up in front of a crowd and, and admit that and say it and sing whatever you want to sing is disturbingly feather ruffling to the powers that be. And that means revolutionary. And uh, that's what we're all doing on some level uh, from the least known, uh, you know, right up to Orville and all the rest of them. Um, <clears throat> it's not our fault. <laughs> it's not our fault that we have to participate in that system. I participate in it. I have to. There's no, way, there's no other way to sell music. We have to participate in the capitalist system in order to sell our music. That's the way it works. It's, we're trapped. <laughs> but everybody's trapped in capitalism and has to make whatever life accommodations they have to make to survive in capitalism. It doesn't make us bad people. <laughs> it's, it's just reality. So I didn't always think this way. And it's, it's taken some, you know, mature, maturity, if I can use that word, <laughs> to, to understand um, how all artists, it doesn't really matter what the genre is, how all artists, in order to be artists, in order to sell art, we don't have a choice. We have to participate. It's, it's how it works. And everybody that has a job has to participate in it. And um, you have to participate in it. And all of us, all of us are trapped in it. And uh, I forgive all of us <laughs> for being trapped. And, um, and I don't forgive you know, the wheels of, of capitalism. And, and that's where we have to go with our criticisms and, 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 uh, and be kind to one another. Try and love one another through, through this hideousness that's surrounding us and not pick on one another and um, be thoughtful and kind. And uh, 
appreciate um, the situation that everyone's in. Be nice. <laughs> <laughs> that, that always hasn't been easy for me. And it's been a, a hard lesson. And sometimes I'm not nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I don't like that aspect of my personality, but I have to forgive myself for it. It's, it's a hideous world we're living in. And uh, it makes us gnarly and mean and self-centered and crabby. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, depressed and uh, trapped in, in feelings of futility and hopelessness. And of course, th that only serves them. They love it when we, when we feel that way. Uh, and it's, um, it's a hard road we have to hoe. Um, and what's, what's in front of us is like heart attack, frightening. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm 77. I'm, I'm probably, I doubt if I'm gonna make it to 87, that would be like amazing. It's really not in my genetic profile. I've already, I've already busted my genetic profile. If you want to know the truth, um, the people, the kids, who and the, I've noticed this consistently. The kids, the, the people are like under, if you're under 50, you're a kid to me, right? If, the kids who have the most respect for Lavender Country and the work that I'm doing are always the ones who are doing the most work themselves, who are, are out there in the struggle, like, fighting and like I did a show on this this is a good example of what I'm talking about I did a show on a place called Camino Island which is one of the San Juans up north of Seattle and um, a community of trans people about half a dozen of them who were living in a collective together, stumbled upon the beach where I was about to do a show without realizing that there was even a show going on. They just were in this, happened to be in the same state park. Mm -hmm. And they stumbled across me and they're going, oh my God, it's Lavender Country. Oh, oh my God. Ah, 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 and all this crap. And then I get into who they are and what they are doing. <coughs> and the political contributions that they're making are incredible. And all of them are out in the street all the time, you know, doing really important work. 
Um, and um, they don't see themselves like I see them because they're trapped in their own lives and putting one foot in front of the other and can't see the forest for the trees and don't realize like I do the incredible contributions that they're making um, and will make. And, uh, and I'm gasping because of the road that they're going to have to walk in the next 40 years to survive and grow and um, change the world is so much more difficult than the one that I had to walk. I mean, what's in front of revolutionary trans people now and the work that they have to do is like ominous. And, uh, and I see them rising to the occasion, right? And really committed deeply to the struggle. And, um, and they're throwing all these honorifics at me on the way. And I'm going, oh, please. <laughs> go, child, go look in the mirror. <laughs> go look in the mirror. See who you are. See what you're doing. I can see, and I get it, everybody's trapped on their own thing and have their own conflicts and all that stuff and emotional upheavals and day-to-day -day struggles that have, have to live through. But they, they don't see themselves the way that I see them. And... Um, There's some real heroes coming up you know, who are going to be um, way more significant and contribute way more than I ever dreamed possible for, for me. Um, like, and I can see how I had it easy <laughs> compared to What's that, what's ahead of us, and what what folks are going to have to do, and heroism, if you will, that people are going to have to rise to in order to have the planet survive. It's like <laughs> don't put that hero shit on me. <laughs> my goal look in the mirror that's that's my um my my perspective and how i how i see it and um that certainly goes for every queer country artist under 40 mm. um, and most <laughs> most of us are uh You're gonna have to go all yeah, all of them, all the queer country artists and all of the uh, trans people who are in the arts are gonna be required to 
go higher, deeper, further, longer, more intense than I ever dreamed possible. That's, that's what's in front of us. And so, like, that's what I think about that. Go look in the mirror. Go illustrious poo by yourself. <laughs> don't, <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't, don't put it on me. Um, <laughs> you know, and I understand the dynamic. The, yeah. the dynamic that I am least conflicted about um, and the one that I have been learning the most about is the, the queer elder hat. Number one, um, when every, in the beginning, when everybody, anybody said that, I was looking over my shoulder trying to figure out who they were talking about, right? <laughs> like, oh, 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 you mean me? Well, I might look 75 to you, but I'm only 25 in my mind, so I, I don't know what you're talking about. The other thing is, Historically, what's happened with queer elders is we faded into the woodwork. And as soon as, but this has been particularly true with men, but with lesbians too, as soon as we lost our sexual capital, i.e. got old, we faded into the woodwork and we no longer had a user function and and weren't visible uh, because that's the way it was. Um, so the queer community hasn't had elders to look up to in the past because, because we weren't there. Well, all... <laughs> All communities throughout history, regardless of what period in history or where they were on the planet, have revered their elders. I mean, we're really the, we're, we're really the first society that didn't do that. We you know, put our elders in an institution and forgot about them. But that's, that's not human history, not even close. And the role of elder for in all societies throughout history has been um, really significant and important. And uh, and the the queer community needs elders badly. And uh, for all those sociological reasons that communities everywhere have needed elders. And um, I've come to realize that I am an elder. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and um, that it's a really significant role. 
and that I have a a responsibility to to pick up that mantle and play it the best the best way I know how because it's really important and there's nothing conflicting about it. Um, it's you know it doesn't have capitalist trappings and you know any queer that's over fifty can start assuming that role and um, we're all going to get there uh, if we live. And uh, it's, it's something that all of us are going to be doing. And um, I'm, I'm loving that. <laughs> I'm, loving, I'm loving the idea of assuming the responsibility to play that role. Uh, because it's really critical. And, uh, and, and queers haven't had that before. One of the one of the things one of the dynamics that's going on with me and Lavender Country about the elder thing is if if anything it's being over glorified because we've never had the opportunity before. We're, we're, we're in a lot of respects. The queers that are my age now are the are the first generation of real visible elders to our community. And everybody's all excited about it. And the reason they're excited about it is because whether they realize it or not, they feel that it's our first chance. Um, and so it's even like more, more important to to play the role and and do the best we can with it. But in the beginning and now it's really hard because I'm I'm constantly looking over my shoulder and going, who are you talking about? <laughs> and I'm going, then I'm, 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 there's always a little bit of surprise in me when I go, oh my God, you're talking about me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, before I get into my next question, I was wondering, and this might tie into your political consciousness, the origins of your political consciousness. Um, is there any like one artist you could think of who's been like a huge influence on you? That's uh, a question I ask everybody on the podcast. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I, I, I have to think about that. Okay. When, when I made Lavender Country, which is the source of inspiration for me at that time, um, I would have to say that, that the artist who was most influential to me then was Patsy Da. <laughs> yeah. For sure. I mean, I, I feel her um, more deeply than any other country artist then or now. And um, 
she put up with a raft of shit in her personal life um, and in her marriage. And, and she died this early death. And in a lot of ways, she was really a tragic figure. And um, And her contributions were enormous. And in my next life, I'm going to be Patsy. <laughs> I swear. That's that's how I how I feel about it. Um, there is something very queer about her music. I felt like that was awesome. That meeting was also very important to Mike. There is something very queer about about her music, even though that was like obviously subconscious mm -hmm. and uh, on her uh, on her level um it, it's it's why gay men can sing Patsy so eloquently over and over and over and over is because it, yeah there's there, there's a real queer identity in it so if I had to pick somebody, uh, I would pick Patsy. If I had to pick an artist who I thought had done the most for the for queers, um, Dolly. Mm -hmm. Dolly's done a lot for queers early and consistently. And you know, like uh, some of some of Dolly's um, comments about queerness are just priceless. Um, are you familiar with any of them? Yeah, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but well, uh, you know, the whole general like, yeah, I love gay people. So what? Uh, yeah, they're very pithy. Just, some of them are just delightful. Yeah. Um, and she, she has she has a way of comically turning it back on whoever it is that's unfairly and in mean spiritedly questioning her about it. Um, one of the early things Dolly said when somebody asked her about did she support gay rights. This was this back in the seventies. I I think it was something like, well, of course I support gay rights. Who do you think gonna do my hair? <laughs> <laughs> I always loved that one, and um, I I saw her in an interview that went something like this. Um, there was a mean-spirited reporter who said to her, Dolly, there's a rumor going around that you're a lesbian. Are you a lesbian? And it was clearly unkind, and it was clearly confrontational. And Dolly said, are you crazy? Of course I'm not a lesbian. Why don't you ask my husband if he thinks I'm a lesbian? <laughs> What kind of an idiot are you calling me a lesbian? No, I'm not a lesbian. My girlfriend is, but I ain't. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
<laughs> yeah. And um, I, I, I love. Interestingly, I'm I'm not a, a wild fan of Dolly Parton's music per mm -hmm. se. Um, that there are other country artists that I love more. Um, but I think that her contributions to um, to gay rights have been immeasurable, and we would be a lot worse off if we didn't have her. Uh, and I and I love her for that. Um, she's not my favorite country music artist. Yeah. I mean, she's also like very much about like how many albums has she made and how many have her fans like actually listened to recently, you know, like it's so much more about like the aesthetic and the aura that she brings. Uh, it's, not, yeah. it's not only the music, I guess is my point. Yeah, uh, it is. Um, and, you know, she's a really good artist and mm -hmm. I, I certainly wouldn't down her for any of her albums or, or songs that she's written. She's just not my favorite. Yeah. This is a good time to listen to Patsy Cline's immortal Walking After Midnight. <laughs> and we'll also listen to one of the most devastating songs from Lavender Country, Waltzing Will Trilogy, about what happens to a gentleman after he's caught walking after midnight. Walking after midnight out in the moonlight, just like we used to do. I'm always walking after midnight, searching for you. I walk for miles along the highway. Well, that's just my way.
soft and sweet The way he waltzed was two if feet For psychiatrists to think was fitting So they said, hey son, we think we should sneak you a slug A raw manhood, the state hospital's just the place to get one Now they call him up, we're sicky They hurt him to group therapy They lock him up at night so he don't escape And if they hear any gay talk A sizzle of electroshock Keeps his fantasies in fascist shape
Shout out to country queer member Amy Estelle, who joined at the band leader level. Amy, your support is incredibly valuable, and we appreciate you. If you're into our mission of lifting up queer voices in country and Americana, please consider joining Country Queer. As little as six bucks a month gets you an ad-free experience on the website, a discount on our killer merch, a Country Queer bumper sticker, and more. We can't do this work without your help. Please go to patreon.com slash countryqueer and sign up today. This episode of Country Queer Spotlight is brought to you by Kill Rockstars, celebrating 30 years of music that matters regardless of genre, gender, orientation, or classification. We enthusiastically support Country Queer's mission of creating a space for queer voices in country, Americana, and folk. Find us at krs.gay. This episode is also sponsored by Good Morning America, the new album by Lawrence Rothman. Good Morning America is a courageous look at coming out as non-binary, healing from abuse, and overcoming toxicity through radical empathy. Featuring guest appearances by Lucinda Williams, Amanda Shires, and Katie Pruitt. Rothman has been compared to Johnny Cash and Courtney Love at the same time. Good Morning America is available now on your favorite platform. You're listening to Country Queer Spotlight, the podcast that introduces you to rising LGBTQ stars on the country scene. You can find more queer country content and merch at countryqueer.com. Now, back to the show with your host, Rachel Colst. Um, So to go along with talking about your musical influences, I feel like a lot of the news coverage and like interviews about you kind of like, I don't know, I get this sense that it's like, you know, Patrick Haggerty put his like queer country album out in the 70s and then it was finally released and it kind of just like almost makes it sound like you were languishing for that whole time, but you weren't. You have been a fixture in the Seattle music scene. You've been a fixture in like movement work, as you said in the beginning. So I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Here's how that worked. Yeah. Um, when I made Lavender Country, I was completely poisoned musically. And for like 40 years, nobody would work with me. And um, putting out Lavender Country branded me as a renegade and uh, an upstart. And I was like musically poisoned for a long time. And uh, For most of my years in Seattle, I wasn't doing music because nobody would do it with me. However, that that was it. When I made Lavender Country, I, I knew that it would poison me forever. And I turned out to be wrong about that, but it did poison me for a really long time. And um, I made that decision consciously um knowing that it was going to deny me a career in music and sure enough it did for a really long time but i didn't have any time to sit around and cry about it i had plenty of things to do 
And I led a really rich, full, engaging life during the years that I wasn't doing music um, that I don't have any regrets about. And I accomplished a lot as uh, as a queer Marxist activist in, in the Puget Sound area. Um, and some of my most heartfelt achievements in my life are were, were in those years. Um, they might be unsung, but they were really important to me and to the people around me. And also, those were the years uh, that I was raising my children. And uh, I'm like I'm like every other decent parent. My children are so much more important to me than anything else mm -hmm. in the world. I'm I'm sure your mother feels that way about you, right? <laughs> Well, so do I. Uh, I'm a parent to two children who are lovely people and who are, you know, making important contributions and strides in, in their own right and who are um, accomplishing major things. And I really like my children and my children are incredibly talented and sophisticated and progressive and doing all kinds of interesting things. And, and I'm their dad. And, um, and uh, my children are by far my most important accomplishment. Um, Every good parent feels that way, you know? I know your mom feels that way about you. And <laughs> right, she does, right? <laughs> and that's um, what we do as good parents, you know? And we put our, our life's love and energy and uh, sense of importance there. So my children far exceed anything else that I have ever done in my life or will do. And I've been married for 33 years, right? And that has been a major accomplishment. And uh, it hasn't been easy, but it's it's been a really good relationship for a long time. Um, then getting back to music, um, before Lavender Country hit the scenes, I was doing music in senior complexes. Uh. Um, yeah, for a long time, um, almost 20 years. Um, and I was doing uh, senior music in senior complexes, mostly around the county that I live in for mm, a long time. And I had a really a good harmonica player from South Chicago, uh, a blues guy. And when we first got together, we just like really collided. But um, we worked out uh, 
a rhythm and a routine. And, um, you know, we call ourselves Memory Lane Songs. And Memory Lane Songs was an item in the county here for oh, the better part of 20 years. And I was singing old covers to old people um, when, uh, when, when the Lavender Country thing hit. And I loved it. I loved it. And I did it for a long time. And we did like 100 shows a year for, you know, 15 or 20 years. And that's a lot of shows. Yeah. Yeah. Like 1,000 um, that I did with Bobby Taylor, my, my partner. And by the time you do 1,000 shows with somebody, um, you're supposed to be good <laughs> or are you supposed to sit down and shut up right yeah. and so uh, quiet as it's kept that was a major accomplishment in my music history was that I did memory lane songs with Bobby Taylor and he he does lavender country with me sometimes and he's my neighbor and, and friend and comrade and he just lives down the hill from me um, and uh Memory Lane songs allowed me to get back into music. And, uh, oh, this went on from like 2000 to 2017. Um, and we got really good. We were doing really, really nice, polished shows. And uh, Memory Lane songs is... Uh, Quiet as it's kept us you know, a major music accomplishment. And it allowed me to get back into music when, when nobody else would listen to me because I moved from one county to another and the seniors in the county that I moved to didn't know anything about Lavender Country. <laughs> and, and I didn't have to be Lavender Country. And I had a whole other musical identity that was not related to Lavender Country and its history and um, proved to myself and the world around me that I was a good musician um, without Lavender Country. Um, so that that is important to me. Um, and the other thing is when Lavender Country hit, I'm, I'm like 70 years old, right? And... Um, Because I'd been doing hour-long shows at 100 a year for like 12 or 13 years at that time, um, it, it prepared me for, the, for, for being able to do Lavender Country. And it was like when my label first picked it up, they said, well, you know, can you can you still do a show? And I went, <laughs> I did a hundred shows last year. Well, how long were they? Well, they were hour long shows, all of them, right? So like I had been standing on my little flat feet singing hour long shows to the best of my ability 
when the lavender country opportunity hit. So when it hit, I was ready. Um, that was unplanned, but it certainly was fortuitous because it allowed me to, you know, take advantage of the opportunity. So I did about 30 years of not doing music at all. And from like 1980 to 2000, um, those years, well, I guess that's 20 years, but um, let me put it this way. When I married my husband, when I hooked up with him in 1988, um, and committed to him and started living with him. I believe it was like three years into our relationship when we went over to a friend's house and my friend said, you don't know about Lavender Country? You don't even know Patrick made, made Lavender Country? And Lavender Country was so dead. And what I was doing at the time was so like, not related, that I forgot to tell my husband that I made Lavender Country. And, and he didn't know it until <laughs> it was like three, three years into our relationship. And, uh, you know, and a friend turned, turned him onto it who happened to, be a, happened to be around when I made it. Uh, so I... Um, lived with Lavender Country when I made it. And I've been living with Lavender Country now for a while. Uh, and when I made Lavender Country was a success as, as far as I was concerned. And the life that I led without Lavender Country was very successful. And um, the life that I'm living now with Lavender Country is equally successful. Um, I'm certainly more prominent now than I've ever been, but uh, the other parts of my life uh, in the, during the Stonewall movement when I was making Lavender Country and on the years of activism that I spent as a screaming Marxist bitch without music in Seattle was like really significant to me and a major accomplishment. And so is, uh, so is what's happening now. But um, I know how to live without Lavender Country. <laughs> I, I can do it quite well. And uh, when, when Lavender Front Country first came out, I thought, well, you know, this is going to be a six-month flash in the pan, and then I'll go back to my normal life. Um, and I turned out that I was wrong about that. Um, <laughs> quite wrong, actually. But uh, I guess... I guess my point is, 
I was proud of my accomplishments in the early Stonewall years when I was a gay activist, when I was making Lavender Country. I was proud of my accomplishments in all the intervening years when I had nothing to do with Lavender Country. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of what I've been able to do with it now. And if it dies tomorrow, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. I, I don't, I don't, I love having lavender country in my life right now, but I don't need it. I'm, I, I can, I can, I can do without it. And there are days when I'm so frustrated with how it goes that I'm going, Oh God, <laughs> let me, let me not do lavender country and do something else for a while. I think yeah, that a lot. Very well. Yeah. <laughs> I can, I can do without it or I can do with it. But um, I know that it's really playing an important political role right now. And um, that's my motivation. And uh, that's what I think is important. And that's what keeps me going. And that's why I continue to do, to do it. Um, part of me, I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a you know I'm a stage whore. I always have been. It's always been part of my personality. I mean, you have to be to do this, right? Uh, it's something that it's in all of us, whether we admit it or not. If we're performers, that means we're stage whores, and um, that's an aspect of it, and. Part of the notoriety of Lavender Country is like, yeah, okay, I can get off on it. Um, but it's so insignificant compared to what we're facing and compared to what we need to do and compared to the role that I'm playing politically right now in order to transform society. I mean, the the most illustrious poobah factor is like, oh, please, let's, could we talk about something else? <laughs> I think something like I've always wondered, and I do think about it like from time to time, so I'm not just blowing smoke up your butt, but is, well, let me pre preface this with like, I think it's very reasonable to assume that there were people before 1970 like writing and performing queer country music, but you recorded the first known album. And I was wondering like, why did you make an album instead of just like, you know, playing these like acerbic, funny, raunchy songs around, you know, the Puget Sound and weaving it at that? What made you want to make and record an album, which I bet was pretty expensive at the time too? Um. <sighs> That's a good question. Um, <laughs> but, <clears throat> you know Lavender Country well enough to know that it's not a joke. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that it's uh, a heartfelt and well-crafted statement about who we were and what we were facing at the time. And it lays out our struggle 
artistically. And um, I had to make a choice. It was a conscious choice, like in 1971 and 1972, whether I wanted to pursue music and stage work and be on stage and be an, an actor and or singer, which I really wanted to do badly. I mean, it was in me. Um, for a while in college, I, I, I was, you know, taking a major in drama. Um, and, you know, I was, I was gonna go be a movie star. In 1972, I had to make a choice about whether I wanted to be a queer screaming Marxist bitch, loudmouth, or whether I wanted to be an actor singer. And I couldn't do both. I, I couldn't. It was it was absurd. I you could not be a screaming Marxist queer bitch Hollywood movie star in 1972 <laughs> or in 2021. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, it, now it's on the horizon. Yeah, but. At that time, it was completely absurd. It was like, you have to make this choice. What are you going to choose? Are you going to go be an actor, singer, and go to Hollywood and go to Nashville and try and shuffle through and get along and, you know, negotiate the politics of closetry? so you can be an artist? Or are you going to be a screaming Marxist bitch? Choose. You can't do both. And so I did choose. I did choose. In 1971, when I went to Cuba with the, with, with the Vince Ramos Brigade, that was my choice. And I made the choice deliberately and consciously. But in making that choice, I went, well, you know what? This art is within me and I can make a contribution outside of the parameters of being an actor and a singer. I can use my art to, to, make, to make the Lavender Country contribution. And so I went, it was kind of a consolation prize. It was like, okay, I'm going to be a screaming Marxist bitch and I'm not going to go to Hollywood, but I'm going to slime out this album anyway, just to, just to rub it in your face. That, that was sort of where my head was at. Um, and I did, I did do that. And it was probably because I, 
I couldn't deny the art that was burning within me. <laughs> it, it like had to come out some kind of way. And I, I wasn't the first. Um, I, was, I was the first one to hit the scene with a gay country album. Right, yeah. But um, there were other queer artists and actors and singers in 1970 um, who were using their art to foment queer revolution. A lot of us, uh, there were a lot of early gay artists and, and certainly, you know, uh, the early lesbians, Chris Williamson and, you know, all of them, they were really cutting a swath, especially in the women's music scene. Right. And um, no, they weren't, quote, famous, unquote, but they were really good artists and they were using the art to make a contribution. And yeah, I might have been the first one to make an album, but Alex Dobkin put out Lavender Jane Loves Women like months after I made Lavender Country. Um, and, um, you know, Blackberry was there and he was doing his, I, I did my first show with Blackberry in 1975. And we've been doing shows ever since. And um, Stephen Grossman put out Caravans Tonight um, a couple of years after I, made Lavender Country, and no, it wasn't country, but it was Stephen Grossman, and he was really a good artist. And um, there was a whole pack of lesbian singers um, who, like, came out at that, at that time. So, yes, I was first, but only by a hair, mm -hmm. right? And... Um, that one of the reasons that I say I put out the first queer country album is because Alex Dobkin put out her album like literally months after Lavender Country came out. And no, it wasn't country, but it was a queer album. And the fact that it came out four or five months after Lavender Country um, I just didn't ever want to say I was the first queer artist to put out an album, even right. though that was technically true, <laughs> because it was a slam to Alex, right? It was, it was a, a sheer coincidence that Lavender Country came out months before her album. And so I never wanted to say I was first, even though I knew I was, because it was a put down to Alex and I didn't want to do that to her. I mean, she was a, a co-traveler. Mm -hmm. And for me to say, I beat Alex to the punch, well, fuck that. <laughs> right? That is so, that went... It, that just always hit me as like, no, that's just wrong. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Because um, she and I were first on the scene together. And other artists 
Chris Williamson and Holly Nair and oh, there was a whole raft of lesbian artists that were right. early on the scene. And uh, and gay men too. Um doing doing what we were doing. So um being the first thing. Yeah, I was the first country. Okay, I'll 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 stand up and take credit for that. But um I don't I don't like to step up and say I was first at the first queer artist. Because right. I wasn't. Yeah. Because I wasn't. There were a batch of us who came out with our art during the early Stonewall movement. And um, they deserve as much credit as me, more maybe. So I've got one more question today, but before I ask it, is there anything you want to make sure we talk about uh, before I ask that last question? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I've I think I've covered the territory of of you know what I want to say today and and what what I want to put out. Um, I already said the most significant thing that I have that I have to say, and that is the kids, i.e., people under forty, <laughs> um, who are making artistic and political contributions now, um, have no choice. They have to go higher, deeper, longer better, further than I ever dreamed possible, or we're not going to have a planet. That is so real in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the thing that I have to tell, you know, all upcoming artists right now is like, oh, God, I had it easy. <laughs> compared to what you're going to be facing. And um, if you can stand on my shoulders a little bit to accomplish what I know you're going to have to accomplish, which is going to be really difficult, then that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to stand on my shoulders. You're supposed to use what I contributed, whatever that was, to... Um, you're not supposed to repeat what I did. You're supposed to stand on my shoulders and go, go further. And um, you don't have a choice and that's what you have to do. So ha 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 and go get the job done. That That's mm -hmm. kind of my, my bottom line. Yeah, well, on a, a lighter note, speaking of the future and the kids, um, another question I always like to end the podcast with is, is there a fellow country queer artist who you'd like to give like a shout out to? And then um, we'll use some of their music in the podcast. Oh, oh God. <laughs> That's really hard. Cindy. <laughs> I know you work with so many people. <laughs> uh, Cindy Amps. 
Andrew Saab, mm-hmm. Fields, Blackberry, um, right off the, there's four right off the top, the top of my head. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, no hurt feelings for anybody else. That's not how this game hey, is planned. So don't worry everybody about Everybody else. If Sarah Shook. Hi, yeah. Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, everybody else um, who's out there doing doing the queer the queer country thing, there's a lot of us now, and um, I'm I love you all, and um, and uh, keep keep doing what you're doing, and um, and I'm with you, no matter where you are, no matter what you're accomplishing or trying to do. There's no such thing as being a queer accommodationist. (laughs) Ultimately, you can't do both of those things at the same time. So anybody who's standing up and saying, I'm a queer, in my mind, is a revolutionary, no matter how they do it. Blind, no matter how bland they are, or trying to make a career or whatever. If you say I'm a queer and I do country music, that's revolutionary. Own it, be it, love it. Well, thanks, Patrick. I really appreciate your time today. Um, I know you've got a lot of exciting stuff on the horizon, so I hope it all comes to pass. Oh, we'll see what happens. You know, I'll I'll be at it as long as I'm on my feet, and um, and that's all. I I know how to live with lavender country, and I know how to live without it too. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me, and I'll see you sometime soon. I'm sure we're bound to collide before long. Yeah, I we hope always, so. We always do. Yeah, and <laughs> stay safe. All right, bye. Usually, we end the podcast with a queer country shout out from the artists we've interviewed, but for this episode, I want us to end with a three song set. Patrick mentioned the album Lavender Jane Loves Women, so first we'll listen to Fantasy Girl from that album by Alex Dobkin. Then, we'll listen to one of my favorite lavender country songs, Straight White Patterns. And we'll end this show with a glimpse of the future of queer country with the Bell Curve's 2020 cover of Lavender Country's Waltzing Will. Thanks for listening, cowpokes, and be safe out there. Here she is and made to order Spicy and clean and sugar and smiles She'll caress you and nestle your feathers in style Mm-hmm.
fighting dragons on our own While we hang our heads in woe-begone misgiving Waiting for men and friends to return A smile while stoic ulcers churn Guts to grit, when will we learn That gay is for the living We just lay low and hide our Our desperation's easy to explain We're trapped We're trapped in straight white patterns And they're coming down again So pay the price for straight white patterns And don't think of what might have been Trapped in straight white patterns And they're coming down again So pay the price for straight white patterns And don't think of what might have been
This episode of Country Career Spotlight has been brought to you by Kill Rock Stars, celebrating 30 years of music that matters regardless of genre, gender, orientation, or classification. KRS.gay. This episode has also been sponsored by Good Morning America, the new album by Lawrence Rothman. Good Morning America is a courageous look at coming out as non-binary, healing from abuse, and overcoming toxicity through radical empathy. Available now on your favorite platform. Well, cowpokes, we've reached the end of the trail for this episode. Thanks for listening to Country Queer Spotlight, the podcast that introduces you to rising LGBTQ stars on the country scene. Head on over to countryqueer.com for more queer country content and merch. Rachel Colst has been your host and producer. For new music by Roots artists of all genders and orientations, listen to our weekly podcast, Adobe and Teardrops. Country Queer Spotlight is edited by Zach Tomlinson, executive produced by Country Queer's founder, Dale Geist. And our theme song, Ride Me Cowboy by Paisley Fields, is courtesy of Don Giovanni Records. Ride me cowboy.